0: Turn with me in your Bibles to to Luke chapter 24. Um, We're going to be reading from verse 36 through 53, picking up uh, on what was read earlier. Uh, Some of you have heard the story, I've told many of you many times, I may have told it up here before, of our our family's camping adventure to the American Southwest last summer, uh, where we pulled a pop-up camper across the United States. It was a great trip. Uh, we got to see some amazing places, but what made the trip memorable for us and for everybody who was paying attention was the number of times that our car broke down. Uh, the first time it broke down was on a Sunday afternoon in Atlanta, Georgia, as we just started our trip, which uh, as we attempted to fix it ourselves, resulted in a broken radiator and a spent, spent the night in Atlanta on Sunday. Spent all day in Atlanta on Monday for them to fix the radiator and then tell us, we don't know why your car broke down in the first place. And so we took off on a Monday afternoon, headed out west, 5 o'clock, Atlanta traffic in a thunderstorm. Uh, Decided at some point, for some reason, we were going to drive through the night to make up for lost time. None of us got more than about two hours sleep. Uh, During one of those two-hour stretches, when I was actually asleep, Susan was awake driving, and we were on i forty in Arkansas, which should say enough right there, but we were on I-40 in Arkansas and there was road construction and so she was literally driving on the shoulder, which they thought was a good excuse for a lane, and the 18-wheeler in front of her was knocking over those orange barrels and they were flying in front of our car during the night and I was oblivious to the whole thing and Susan was playing Mario Kart. So we, we, we got through that, we got to Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's 105 degrees. And the car broke down again. We were, at a, we were at one of those gas stations slash casinos uh, slash hotels uh, near Albuquerque. Nobody was there to fix it. We wait 30 minutes. The car starts again. We keep going. We get to, to uh, where was it? Ganada, Ganada New Mexico. Uh, at Gallup. Gallup, Gallup, New Mexico. And the car breaks down again. So this time I changed the mass airflow sensor, and I'll be glad to show you how to do that. Um, I changed the mass airflow sensor. We, we start going. About an hour and a half later, it's nighttime. We're in the middle of the Navajo Reservation, and the car breaks down again. Now, this is actually probably the most interesting part of the story, but it, it doesn't relate to what I'm trying to set up here. So I'll just say briefly, um, the son of a church planter on the Hopi Indian Reservation, who's a Mennonite, helped us out. And a Navajo tribal elder, who is also a Mennonite, helped us out. Uh, we wound up spending the night in a hospital-slash-compound on the rez, as they say in Longmire. Uh, but but we, So we spent the night there. We, we get up the next morning, get a new battery, head off to the Grand Canyon, and about 45 minutes from our campsite at the Grand Canyon, the car breaks down again. So we, we camped, I go into Kanab, Utah, and get a, a rental car, which turns out to be a year 2000 jeep cherokee with 120,000 miles because all they had available uh and so we tool around the grand canyon zion for about two days in that while they're working on our car i go back and get the car they think they've got it fixed we're driving back up the hill to our campground it's about an hour and this weird rattle starts in the car and our car just gets like deadly deadly quiet uh, we get to the campground. I've got the hood popped. I'm trying to figure. out, I, I know nothing, but I'm trying to figure out why this rattle is going on. And about this time, Susan says to me, "The lantern broke." Now, the, the lantern we were camping is one of those little propane lanterns with the glass globe. She says the lantern broke. The wind. We, we left it out. We left it out on the picnic table, and the wind blew it over that day. And I, I consider myself a pretty laid-back person. And most of you, know, I'm I'm kind of chill most of the time. I totally lost it when the ladder broke. Right? It, was, it was the straw that broke the camel's about back. I, I, had, I had kept it together through all of our misadventures up until that point. But when the ladder bro- broke, that was it. The dude was no longer able to abide, for those of you who can appreciate that. And so that, that piece that I had been working so hard to cultivate, right, at that moment, it just went completely out the window. Um, Some of you can probably relate to that. And, you know, I was thinking about that this morning when I got up and and read the news. If I were to tell that story tonight or next Sunday morning in Sri Lanka, uh, where some of you saw that that 200 people actually died in terrorist attack on churches and hotels. You may not have known this. It happened this morning, Easter morning in Sri Lanka. If I were to, to tell that story your reaction might be to spit on the ground and cuss me out because you would be like, Well, that's fine. You were having trouble finding peace in the midst of your car troubles on vacation. Where are we going to find any peace right now? Where are we going to find any peace right now? And maybe you kind of feel like that a little bit yourself. You know, we're all dressed up in our Easter best. On well, the inside, we have this, this pain. Uh, this restlessness, this sleeplessness, this worry, uh, even this anger. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? For, for 2,000 years, what the church has done over and over again is to tell this story, uh, the story that's the only story that has the power to bring peace into our lives in the midst of minor frustrations, but also in the midst of huge gut-wrenching, sorrow and losses and and so what we're doing today as a church is we're turning that story one more time so i'm going to read this for us luke 24 beginning in verse 36 as they were talking about these things jesus himself stood among them and said to them peace to you They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God pray with me. Father in heaven, um, thank you for Easter. Thank you for the story of the resurrection. Uh, I I pray simply this morning that this resurrection story and the resurrection power of Jesus uh, would indeed flood our lives uh, and bring us peace. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, on a Friday evening 2,000 years ago, it was probably kind of hard for the disciples to imagine peace, having peace. Uh, they were heartbroken. Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah. Jesus was supposed to be the Savior, but now he was dead. And they were in hiding, fearing for their own lives. Even on Sunday morning when some of the disciples have already seen the risen Christ, they, they haven't quite figured out what's going on, and they're still hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. And then Jesus appears to them in their fear, and he says, peace to you. And so what I want us to, to, to see and to think about this morning is the fact that the same Jesus, who because of the resurrection, was able to speak words of peace to the disciples, is also, because of that same resurrection, able to speak words of peace to you and I this morning As well, And we're going to see that in four ways. One way the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings us peace is that it brings us peace because it's the resurrected Jesus who brings us forgiveness. It's the resurrected Jesus who brings us forgiveness. Now think about this. Jesus stands among the disciples and he says, peace to you. And then he goes on to tell them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the nations and proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in my name. Now, think about who he's talking to when he says this, peace to you, go spread the gospel. Three days before, they'd seen him die, and they had said, hey, we're going to be with you, we're not going to leave you. But then they saw him die, and they freaked out, and they, they went into hiding. Peter even denies that he knows Jesus three times. And yet Jesus shows up after all of this has happened, after they haven't been able to to follow through on their promises, he he comes to them and he says, peace to you. He's not angry. He's not sarcastic. He doesn't say, nice job guys, thanks for sticking by me. Instead he says, peace to you. He speaks words of peace and forgiveness to fearful disciples. And the resurrected Jesus still speaks words of today to those who hear and embrace this message that the disciples then took to the nations? How can he do that? How can Jesus speak words of peace and forgiveness to fearful and sinful disciples? How can he speak forgiveness to them after they turn their back on him and let him die? How can he speak words of forgiveness to me the number of times that I have turned my back on him? Jesus can speak these words of peace. He can speak these words of forgiveness because of what he has done at the cross. At the cross, he paid the price. He took on himself the just penalty that his people should have borne. He paid what we should have paid. And the resurrection was the proof that God the Father found that sacrifice acceptable. That that, that the Father had looked at what Jesus had done and he stamped paid in full on your and my bill. Romans 4 says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it this way. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See, if, if Jesus was still dead, If Jesus never rose from the dead, that would mean that the father had looked at what Jesus had done and rejected it. And said, okay, that's all right, but that's not enough. That's not enough. That's not acceptable. But instead, the father says, amen. He says, that is enough to the work of his son. He raises him from the dead, assuring the disciples, assuring us. That the work of Jesus is enough. That it is sufficient to bring us peace with God. That it is sufficient to bring about the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, If you were to count, how many sins do you think you've committed since last Easter? Uh, How many sins have you committed since last Sunday? It might be easier. Or, Or how about since you got up this morning? Jesus has done enough to pay the price for all of those. For every single one of those. And that, that's good news, right? That's good news to those of us who are weighted down by, the, by, by our sin, by the thought of what we have done. That's good news. There's this offer of the gospel that simply says, if you come to Christ and embrace him in faith and repentance, then your sins will be forgiven. And so that's good news. On the other hand, the flip side of that is that's bad news to those of us who feel like we've done enough. Or that we can do enough. Or that we can show up at church enough to somehow earn God's forgiveness. I heard uh, the mayor of a major American city say one time, I'm telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. See, what the scripture tells us is that that's not true. I can't do enough to earn my way in, but Jesus has. Jesus has paid the way for every person who will turn from their bad works and yet also turn away from their good works and rest in his finished work. And what the Bible says is that is enough. The work of Jesus is enough to bring you peace with God. You don't have to add anything to that. Secondly, The resurrection can bring me peace because it has the power to free me from my my fears. Uh, There's there's an old hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature. Jesus, this risen Jesus, is the ruler of all nature. When you and I get into those aggravating, lantern-breaking situations, when we get into those scary situations, when we're going to the hospital in the middle of the night not knowing what the end result is going to be, when life is breaking down around us in frightening ways, we can know that the same Jesus who died for us, the same Jesus who rose for us, that that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's ruling all things, and he's ruling all things well, and he's ruling all things for the good of his people, even if we can't see it in that moment. Where are you scared right now? Where are you fearful? Fearful? The resurrected Lord Jesus, who rules all things, speaks words of peace to you. He's saying to you this morning, peace to you. I love you. I've got this. But the resurrection also has the ability to free us from our fears in an even more profound way. Because the resurrection has the ability to free us even from our fear of death. Uh, There was an article once written by Betsy Child when she said this. My grandmother was dying of pancreatic cancer. She faced her terminal diagnosis with grace and faith. While we, her children and grandchildren, were terribly sad, her Christian peace in the face of dying comforted us all. Except, that is, for one night when I panicked. I was lying in bed, waiting to fall asleep. This was the first time I had faced the death of someone close. All at once it occurred to me that we had no idea what would happen to my grandmother. None of us had ever closed our eyes in death. And that meant none of us knew what she would see when she opened them. That The horror of the unknown washed over me. I realized it wasn't her death that I was afraid of. It was my own. I'm not alone in being frightened by how little we know about the experience of death. The fact that books about journeys to heaven and back, repeatedly land on the bestseller list, testifies to our need for someone to tell us what death is going to be like. We want to hear that we will be met by someone we know. We want the assurance that the light at the end of the darkness is real and that someone dear to us will be holding the lamp. Who in their right mind would want to go into a tunnel without knowing what they would find on the other side? When faced with the unknown, I've watched my cousin's children adopt roles that suit their birth order and personalities. The older is cautious and worried about danger. The younger is foolhardy and tough. He's unaware that there is anything he should fear. When confronting a new and potentially scary situation, the older will send the younger in first. He waits for his little brother to come back and assure him that he won't get hurt. In our case, it was our older brother, Jesus, who ventured into the dark unknown. He didn't leave us behind indefinitely to wonder what happened. He conquered death and came back to let us know that it is now safe to follow. He speaks to us these comforting words, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. That night, my panic lasted for several minutes until I remembered that simple truth Jesus died and lived to tell about it. Death is not a total unknown to the human race. Jesus has been there and come back again. Jesus has been there and come back again. Those those same disciples who had abandoned Jesus three days earlier were transformed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Most of them went went on to die because of their faith In Christ, tradition tells us that Peter was actually crucified upside down. Men who were scared to admit that they knew Jesus, men who were terrified and who ran away because they feared death, had that fear of death taken away by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, the resurrection of Jesus has power to bring me peace because it can set me free from my fears of life. And it can set me free from my fears of death. There's a third way the resurrection speaks peace uh, in that it makes sense of history and also makes sense of my life. Look at verse 47 again, excuse me, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. When Jesus spoke to his disciples, one of the things that he wanted them to understand was that his death and his resurrection was part of a bigger story. All of the Old Testament he wanted to see, all of history... Had been moving to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now all of history is flowing from that resurrection. As his disciples continue to proclaim repentance and for the forgiveness of sins to all the nations. See that if the Bible is true, if the resurrection really happened, then all of history makes sense. There is a pattern to history, it is not just randomness and chaos. There is creation where all things are made by a powerful and loving God. There is a fall where man rebelled against his maker. There's a reason that things are messed up. There is redemption, which is the story of God working to make broken people and this broken creation new again. There is future glory when one day all things are going to be made new and all things are going to be made right. See, what what this story says is that we've come from somewhere and we're going to somewhere. If, if that's not true, then, then I don't think anything really matters. Nothing we've done matters because if there is no resurrection, then there's just death and that's it. And there's, there's nothing more to say about. Ravi Zacharias wrote, The silence that falls is the heart-wrenching echo of a purposelessness existence. A purposeless existence. You can be Hitler or you can be Mother Teresa. It doesn't really matter if there is no resurrection. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. The story is true. And Jesus did rise. And beauty and truth and love, these are all real things. They are not just chemical reactions bouncing around in your skull for a few years. There's a story that you were designed to play a part in. There's a reason for you to get up every morning. I I never know what's going on with people. Uh, You know, even people in your own family sometimes, because we can can cover everything up so well. We can have a smile on our faces, but on the inside we feel like, and this just makes no sense, and there is no... Point going on and it just all feels so meaningless to me the resurrection speaks to you and says that's not true you're, you're a part of a bigger story you're made for something more and if you can believe that that will begin to bring peace into your life well finally the resurrection brings peace because it promises us that we're not alone uh, here's what I mean. Look in verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Uh, if, if you go on and you read the book of Acts, it's not that Jesus is just promising his disciples, hey, you're going to get this raw power. But he's promising to send them a person. He's promising to send them the Holy Spirit to equip them and to enable them and to empower them to do what he's called them to do he's promising them that even if they're in a prison in the middle of nowhere nowhere they still won't be alone he will be with them he will not leave them alone see that yes the spirit the holy spirit is given to empower us to enable us to go and to make disciples but the spirit is also given to assure us that we have been redeemed And that we are loved by a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that spirit who unites us to God also unites us to other believers. And brings us into this community of life and forgiveness and love and hope. Where broken and scarred people are made new as they have fellowship with God and with one another. Remember I was reading an article once uh, about Lindsay Lohan. The, the, the Oprah Winfrey Network was going to produce a, a show about Lindsay and how she was trying to get back on her feet after her sixth trip to rehab. And as the show starts, the writer says uh, it, it felt like she's going to be going through this process of getting back on her feet with all this community of people helping her out. Her mom shows up. Her brother makes a guest appearance. She's got a sober coach who's even with her most of the time. But then he writes this. While Lindsay is surrounded by people, she appears, to be, she appears to continuously feel completely alone. She's surrounded by the paparazzi as she makes her way to an AA meeting. And yet in the sea of all those people, she's alone. There's a, there's a British girl who shows up to help her organize her life after having only known her for a few days. The writer says, Are the new agey life coach who hawks positive affirmations, exercise, and candle lighting, all while pushing Lindsay to talk about her personal struggles with sobriety in a way that feels exploitive. Even her personal assistant has only known her for a month. Uh, At one point, her, her sober coach is asked how she's doing, and this is how he responds. I'm not going to discuss whether or not Lindsay is still sober. Lindsay's sobriety is between Lindsay and Lindsay.'" She's still alone. She's still by herself in the midst of all these people. Uh, Studies have shown, I was reading recently, that 50% of Americans report feeling lonely. 50%. One study said that loneliness can shorten your life as much as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And I, I just wonder how many of us in this sea of people really feel alone. We're we're surrounded by people, right? It's the most glorious day of the year, but we might as well be stuck by ourselves in a spaceship on the far side of the moon because inside we feel completely and totally alone. The resurrection says you don't have to be alone. You don't have to be alone. The risen Jesus has given you his spirit that you might be united both to God and to other believers. You don't have to stay in your isolation. Self-medicating, worrying, withering away in self-pity. But you can cry out to the God that you're united to by the Spirit. And you can cry out to other people to whom you are united by that same Spirit. The resurrection speaks to us and says, you don't have to be alone. Well, How did the disciples respond Uh, At first, the text tells us they're startled and they're frightened. But then verse 44 says, they disbelieved for joy and marveled, which means in the Greek something like, are you kidding me? This is this is unbelievable. Oh, my goodness. Verse 52, even after Jesus has left them, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. How do you respond to this? resurrection story are you excited because it's easter and we get to remember it again are you excited every sunday when we get to drink the bread and the wine or excuse me drink the bread that's pretty exciting stuff we do that other sundays not today when you drink the wine and eat the bread does that bring joy into your hearts do you say oh my goodness this is unbelievable. Are you kidding me? Is that your reaction to the gospel? Are, are, are you beginning to feel anything of the peace that the gospel offers to us? I want to suggest that if that's not your experience, that doesn't necessarily mean you're not a Christian or less of a Christian. It just testifies to the reality that peace is hard to come by in a troubled world. You know, Jesus says here, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? And you may be saying, are you serious? Like, do I really have to list that for you, Jesus? Did you see what happened this morning? Do you know what's been happening in my life? Do you know what I'm having to deal with right now? I've got this and this and this and this. And when you add all that up, that still doesn't equal peace. So I'm I'm not quite sure I understand what you're getting at. And Jesus says to you, he, he doesn't get upset. He says, I know. I know. I love you. And I know you don't understand, but I'm risen. And that really does change everything. Well, you say, okay, well, how do I get that off of this piece of paper that I'm taking notes on this morning? And how do I get that piece that seems like that's a four-point theoretical sermon that sounds nice? How do I actually get that into my life? Philippians 4 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, okay, well, it's easy. then. I just just do that then. Well, three things. Number one, we have to remember that we live in the already-not-yet. And that the peace that Jesus brings will not be fully realized until he returns and he makes all things new. And so we have to recognize that there's always going to be that tension in the Christian life. We will have troubles. Uh, Secondly, when we suffer, when we lack peace, we have to remember that there is a Savior who has been there. Uh, Jesus is not a stranger to suffering. He's not a stranger to trouble. He's not a stranger to feeling forsaken by God. He has been tempted in every way just as we are, tempted to rage, tempted to despair. And so he is able to sympathize with you in the midst of your trouble and your weakness. And thirdly, we have to remember that this risen Savior, uh, even though I can't see him, I can have communion with him now. And as I come into his presence, I can begin to experience something of his peace that he offers. Uh, When that lantern broke on our trip, I I had prayed before on our trip. But I hadn't really prayed until that moment. Because at that moment, I had to finally look at God and say, okay, you've broken me. I can't just keep this together through my own willpower anymore. And if we're going to keep going, you're going to have to show up and do something here. Because I don't know if I can handle this anymore. And I was—I kind of wrestled through that for a few minutes, and I was beginning to get a, a little bit of peace about it. And I—and I looked up, and it had just rained for like the first time in a month at the Grand Canyon, and I saw a rainbow. And I'm not making that up. And you may think that's cheesy, but that's actually, and Emma can testify, that's actually what happened. It was just kind of like, okay, are you saying we're going to be okay now? Is the car not going to break down anymore? Is that what it says in Genesis? Um, but. Uh, the car didn't break down anymore. And, and look, I, I know God doesn't usually give us rainbows, but he gives us something better. He gives us his word. He gives us his spirit. And he's got a door that's always open. And he invites us to come barging in anytime we want to. Let me put it this way. The, the, the peace of Jesus gets off the pages of my notes and into our hearts when we begin to learn to abide in Jesus. Because it's only as I'm with Jesus that the peace that he has to, begins to spill over into your and my life. What does it mean to abide in Jesus? And Let me put it like this. It's, it's you and I sitting down at a table with Jesus and having a cup of coffee. I don't mean that irreverently, but I just, just to get the picture. of You and I sitting down with Jesus and having a cup of coffee and beginning to pour our hearts out to him. And telling him all our troubles. And saying to him exactly what's on our heart, having a heart-to-heart with Jesus. And, and let me say, you do know that's okay to do, right? Like, you really can do that. You don't have to, like, get dressed up to go have a conversation with Jesus and act like everything's okay. The Psalms are filled with prayers of people for whom everything is not all right, and God has not made everything all right. And they can't figure out why everything is not all right. And they're given to you so that you can pray them. Uh, you two had a song several years ago that, that it's not a psalm, but it feels very psalm like to me. It's called Peace on Earth. Uh, and in it, they sing, Heaven on Earth, we need it now. I'm sick of all this hanging around, sick of sorrow, sick of pain, sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line? Peace on earth. To tell the ones who hear no sound, whose sons are living, In the ground, peace on earth. Jesus, this song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat. Peace on earth. I hear it every Christmas time, but hope and history won't rhyme. So what's it worth, this peace on earth? Like, you can actually sit down in the midst of your troubles and say things, pray things like that to God. And then you don't stop there. Though You pick up his word and you listen to what he has to say back to you. And if you do that, you'll hear hear his story. The story of Jesus. The story of a Savior who suffered to pay for your sin. The story of a Savior who was forsaken by God so that you, at the end of the day, will never be forsaken. The story of a Savior who went through the tunnel of death and came out on the other side, so that one day you will too. You'll hear the story of a risen Savior speak words of grace and peace to you over and over and over again. The Apostle Paul wanted us to make sure we heard that so badly that it seems he couldn't start. He, he couldn't quit starting his letters with them. Like he was always leading off of that. Uh, Romans 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 1, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians, grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, Colossians, grace and peace to you from God our Father. First Thessalonians, grace to you and peace. Second Thessalonians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First Timothy 1, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First Timothy 1, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus, grace and peace from God our Father. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Philemon, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Revelation, grace to you and peace. From him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the king's of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. In the passage we just read, see my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Y'all, Jesus is risen. And so I can say, you this morning grace to you and peace do you know that peace let's pray Father. i pray perhaps there's some of us here who don't know the the peace of christ we don't have a relationship with you that you might give us peace this morning that we might embrace what jesus accomplished on that cross years ago and father i'm pretty sure that all of us even believers uh, struggle with peace so jesus would you help us to cast our anxieties and our cares upon you and you will you begin as we do that to give us your peace we ask in your name amen